welcome back to another episode of Early Departures. Yeah, we're back. I'm Phoebe. <laughs> I'm Ashley. That will probably sound funny when you edit it, but we are Ashley and Phoebe. Probably. <laughs> we're just going to keep talking I'm Ashley and she's other. Phoebe. She just makes editing very hard for me, that's all. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, what have you been up to aside from watching your neighbors through your window? Um. Nothing that exciting. I bought new bird seed for my bird feeders. Very exciting. Well, no, my birds don't like it, and I'm very confused by it. So you have a spoiled dog, and you have spoiled birds outside of your home. Yeah, I spent $45 at the, like, tractor supply store on bird seed. Yeah, I think I think the problem lies with you, not with the birds or the dogs. No, and that's fine. I'll take it. Well, for the listeners out there who might be wondering... Phoebe's other pursuits, the looking into the windows, off air, we were just talking about how she cut her tree down between her and her neighbor's house, and now she can see into his house, so she does have funner pursuits than feeding birds, (laughs) like stalking. And both involve binoculars. Yeah, I'm going to get you a uh, telescope so you can really check out what what the neighborhood's doing. I have no problem with that. I like the uh, I like the idea of the old grandma watching the neighborhood. You know, like right now everything everything going on with the whole like cops and stuff like that. I'm like I am all in favor of just the old grandmas. It reminds me of uh, remember when we were in Portugal and we were in that little restaurant sitting outside and there were the kids playing with the balls like in the courtyard by the restaurant mm-hmm. and that old lady she was like she was a hundred years old she just started yelling stuff at them. And they just sh- were shaped right up. <laughs> they were like, oh, no. Yeah. It was just somebody's grandma. That's what I'm not having it. I'm practicing <laughs> to be that woman. Um, <laughs> She's going to keep an eye on the whole neighborhood. I mean, I am very involved in my neighborhood's <laughs> going on. Mm-hmm. I don't think everyone else knows I am. But yeah, I think it's cool. I think it's cool if, if you're like old grandmas watching the neighborhood and yelling at kids and stuff as long as they're not like karens who are like watching the neighborhood and then calling the cops on the kids <laughs> you know just no more grandmas yelling i actually have a woman who lives across the street from me mm-hmm. and i've been told that she's lived in that house for her whole entire life and she's like upwards of late 70s early 80s wow and she gardens all the time all i see her out in the yard mm-hmm. doing things well apparently piece of my mail ended up in her mailbox oh she aggressively comes over (laughs) banging on like i have like one of those metal glass kind of doors between the front door yeah banging on it telling me that i better fix my address because (sighs) she's old and she can't spend her time delivering me my mail she ain't got time to be sore in your mail and acting as your mailman for free phoebe yeah. Well, get together. I've seen her pulling. I've seen her pulling trees in her yard. I don't. I think she can make it across the road. And how do I know my mail made it? You over know what? There? She wasn't even mad at you. She was taking her aggression for the postal worker out on you. She was like, "I have lived here for one thousand years, and you know it, Bob. <laughs> you know it." I also, she made it seem as though she has received numerous pieces of my yeah. mail, and this was the <laughs> first time the she's actually ones. brought it over. So I have been curious about any lost letters or bills <laughs> I may have out there. She probably thought it was a bill. The birthday cards, she's going to keep those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
She was like, this is the last time you're getting your bills sent to my house. Everything else is fine. She probably has a few of my Amazon packages. I really enjoy tea and cashmere blankets. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, thank you. Thank you. Your mom writes lovely notes. Hey, it's neighborhood things. Getting yelled at by old ladies and feeding the birds. Uh, So, yeah, that's that's all that's been going on in my life. Not not very exciting or interesting. Um, In case anybody's listening to this in the future, it's because there is a pandemic happening right now. So, just FYI. Yep. Anyway. Okay. I'm going to jump in and tell you a story. A story I'm very excited to tell you. No. Because this was a reader-suggested story. Yay! Um, Caitlin emailed us and said that she loves the podcast. And we love Caitlin. And she had listened to, don't know what episode number it is, but it's about the woman who gets lost with her GPS in Death Valley. Uh Uh-huh. And said, hey, I've got a story for you. That's where I got the story from. So I'm super excited to tell everyone. Well, I'm super excited to hear about it because I read the email. So I have the gist of what's happening, but I did not one ounce look into it. So... I've been waiting for like two weeks to find out more about this story. So in November 2006, the Kim family from San Francisco was getting ready to celebrate Thanksgiving. The Kim family consisted of husband James, wife Katie, and their two daughters, Penelope and Sabine. Hmm. At this time, Penelope is four and Sabine is seven. Uh, James is 35. I think Katie's about 30 if we're putting ages in there. Okay, so a young family. Yep. They, James and Katie, met in college, uh-huh. fell in love instantly, got married in Vegas, you know. Cute. Storybook romance. Mm-hmm. Very happy family. James had a high-profile job within the technology community. He worked as an editor at CNET. And he also had some YouTube review channels for tech. And again, this is 06. So it's like, that's kind of a new thing. Yeah, sure. And him and Katie also owned two San Francisco businesses. Go-getters. Yeah. They're they're just like... You kind of have to be in San Francisco, though. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, even in 2006, it was not cheap to live there. Got to pay that rent somehow. On November 18th, the family left San Francisco on a road trip up to Seattle to celebrate Thanksgiving with their family. Mm. As they wrapped up their time in Seattle... And they headed back home. They stopped in Portland to visit friends. They have brunch with friends, do some things, and then get back on the road. It's now November 25th. After they left their friends in Portland, they had one more planned stop in Gold Beach on the coast of Oregon. Mm -hmm. It was late afternoon when the family had made a pit stop in the town of Roseburg at a Denny's for a quick meal. So again, they've left. They were in Seattle visiting family for Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. They went over to Portland, saw some friends. Heading back to San Francisco, plan to do an overnight at Gold Beach on the coast. Okay. As the family finished their meal, they got in the car to drive the final stretch of the road to the coast. The family intended to take Highway 42 over to the coast. But after getting back on the highway, they realized they missed their exit. They had made it pretty far down the highway before they realized, and anxious to get to their next destination... They looked at the map they had in the car and decided to drive the 55 miles down the interstate to Grants Pass and pick up a road called Bear Camp Road. Mm-hmm. When you're looking at a map, this is a road that, as the crow flies, is, heads directly west out of Grants Pass and goes to the coast. So they thought, instead of backtracking on the highway up a couple miles, why not just go down a little bit further, 
take this Grants Pass Road. We'll get we'll get right to the beach. This looks like a shorter distance. Uh huh. They stopped at a gas station in Merlin near Grants Pass for clarification, but James said he was confused by the attendant's directions. He didn't feel like the attendant really understood what he was asking. Mm-hmm. So this is just one of the mistakes the family makes. As they make their way up Bear Camp Road, road signs told them they were headed towards the coast, and a snowplow parked near the road made the Kims believe the road was maintained. Mm. It was not until they saw a warning sign that read that the road may be blocked by snowdrifts where they tipped off that they may be driving into trouble. Ugh, that makes me feel so sick. I hate it. <laughs> Bear Camp Road is a rugged one-lane road that traverses through the Klamath Mountains in Josephine and Curry Counties in Oregon. Mm -hmm. It's used predominantly in the summertime. There's some hunting camps down there and some lodges. It also gives access to the Rogue River, where there's a ton of whitewater rafting. Uh But as you know, having been out west quite a bit in your life, these mountain passes are nothing to mess with. No. Like, they oh. can be terrifying in the summer. And again, this is a one-lane. Yeah. Mostly a one-lane road. Mm-hmm. And usually on these one-lane roads, there's a kind of a pull-off. So when you do encounter a car, you kind of yeah. shimmy by each other. So locally known in this community, hardly anyone tries to drive this road in the winter. Oh. And also some people don't really enjoy driving this road even in the summertime because yeah. it's at a high level high elevation along the ridge line. Yeah. It sounds like a kind of road I wouldn't want to like and do in the summertime either. Yeah. It reminds me of like some of the roads I've taken from Idaho into Montana or Idaho into Washington, those high passes. Uh-huh. So it was shortly after they saw this sign that the road may be blocked by snowdrifts. That the weather kind of started to take a turn as well. Because, again, they're climbing an elevation. So I believe there was some just general, like, light rain drizzle. But, you know, as yeah. you climb elevation, rain oh. turns into snow. At this point, James wanted to turn back. But Katie thought it was too dangerous. Again, because this is a very, very narrow road. Yeah. And it's barely a lane. It's like, you know, probably just about a lane, lane and a half. And you have a cliff on the other side of you. Oh, it's also nighttime. So, like, oh, how are you going to no. maneuver? I didn't even think about it being nighttime. Oh, oh yes. I sorry. I should have no. mentioned. It was. I want to say they left. It they either left Denny's or came through Grant's Pass around eight thirty. Oh. Regardless, it was after five p.m. Yeah, I'm saying like uh, close and this to, is winter time. Yeah, you know, Thanksgiving time. That's it gets dark so early. Oh God. Yep. I don't even like in regular life in the winter time. I don't like to drive at night just because it's like that much harder to see when a bunch of snow's coming down and your headlights are hitting it and it's just all you can see is white like oh i can't even imagine oh poor poor family mm-hmm. mm. and when i first read this story i like devoured as much information as i could like i was reading in bed with like the glow of my phone <laughs> yeah and i was like getting a little anxious because i mean i haven't been on this road but i've been on roads that have been described similarly and I felt like I had, like, nightmares that night. Yeah. Just thinking about being on this road in the dark and bad weather and lost. You've had a long day. Yeah. There's just so much going on. Oh, do you ever have that thing where, like, you've been driving and it's been, like, a really hard trip, either because it's, like, bad snow or bad rain or whatever, and it's been a long time and it's, you know, like, we've been driving 10 hours and then you get home and you close your eyes and you fall asleep and your brain thinks that you've fallen asleep driving and you jolt awake like 
oh my god that happens to me like every time that has not happened to me but oh my god that's gosh. terrifying that you're lucky that happens to me every single time like my brain likes to play pranks on me and goes haha that was a really hard drive you know it'd be really funny why don't we give you a little scare we made her think she fell asleep during it yeah yeah so anyway they didn't want to turn around so james decides to backtrack down the road but in reverse because uh-uh. as they continued, the weather just kind of started to worsen, and so did the road, and they're uncomfortable turning around. So Ugh. they start to reverse down the road, and at one point, James opens the car door to help him see oh, no. as he, like, slowly backs down. Wow. When they do decide to backtrack down the road, they come to kind of a Y in the road, uh-huh. and instead of just reverse, continuing to reverse the whole way they've come up Bear Camp Road, they continue down the little Y because it, it's going downhill. And they believe that this road will take them to lower elevation and continue to the coast. Oh. Unfortunately, that road that they headed down was a logging road. Oh, no. Oh. And anyone who's familiar with logging roads and mountains and forest areas that are logged, logging roads go nowhere. Hmm. They are just mazes. Yeah. Finally, at 2 a.m., after driving 21 miles out of the way, they stopped to wait everything out. Yeah. They tried to call 911, but their cell phones were unable to get a signal. Of course not, especially back then. Mm-hmm. Oh. And I should mention, Jace- Jason is driving. Mm-hmm. Um, he, the family decides to park the car at a T intersection, uh-huh. assuming that the plows that will drive by in the morning will find them. They think they hear signs of snowmobiles. But it's really just the nearby rogue river kind of oh. raging in the background. You wow. know, like, especially when you're anxious, scared, and it's lonely in the middle of the forest. Like, yeah. all those, I feel like all those noises are always, like, heightened, you know? Yeah. So, that first night, the couple quickly realizes that help may not be coming. They hunker down and prepare for the worst. They move all of their belongings into the front of the vehicle and extend the back seats to make a makeshift bed for the family to sleep together. Mm-hmm. They make a pact. No getting wet, no getting hurt, no getting sick. Mm. They have some food with them. So, you know, some some rice cereal, some baby food. We're very, you know, they've got some provisions, especially having a four-year-old and a seven-month-old. Yeah. You've got some snacks in the car. But they said they were going to ration the food so it would last two weeks, even if it meant just one mouthful a day. Wow. Two nights have come and gone for the family. They walk up the road a bit and find a logging gate and place a note to hopefully be discovered by another vehicle. The note says, low on gas, low on food, two babies. Oh, my God. They wrote out an SOS in the snow with hopes that a plane above would notice their message. But at this point, no one was looking for them. Their lapse in communication with friends and family wasn't that uncommon when they were on a road trip. And they road trip pretty often. Yeah, and it's hard because it's like Thanksgiving, too. It's like that's the... That's the most time that aside from family, which if you just came from seeing them, mm-hmm. they're not going to be like, gee, where are they? But your your friends are not going to expect to hear from you. Yeah. And I believe that first night when at 2 a.m. they quit, they said, we'll wake up in the morning and, you know, figure out a plan of action the next day. I believe they woke up and the weather had gotten worse and there was a lot of snow around. Mm-hmm. So they didn't think they could even drive out from that point because they, they have gas in their vehicles and things like that. Yeah. So day three arrives. The girls, Sabine and Penelope, really start to become tired, anxious, and hungry. Katie says Penelope was aff- affected the most by the lack of food. 
Worried about keeping the girls healthy, Katie begins to breastfeed both Sabine and Penelope. Because mm-hmm. at this point, she's still breastfeeding the baby and being concerned about the lack of nutrition and food and just like yeah. number one concern as a mother is like the health and safety of a girl. She starts to breastfeed both of them. Mm-hmm. I don't think either Jason or Katie ever thought that by day four, they'd still be stranded in those woods. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's a long time. Day four. They mention that through this, they periodically turn on the car heater and run Mm. it. They've got gas, so they've got some warmth. Um, They've got a little bit of the baby food, the rice cereal. I believe they built a small fire to keep warm. Mm -hmm. Luckily, at this point, the Oregon police have finally received a missing persons report from San Francisco. However, the couple is lost in an area that spans 15,000 square miles. It's 50 miles wide by 30 miles long. Yeah, and it's definitely like an area that no, they shouldn't have been in. Right. Why would anybody think to look for them there? Yes. Also, Bear Camp Road, as I mentioned earlier, is widely known to locals that it's unpassable in the winter. Mm. And I don't believe anyone at this point even considered the family would have taken that road. They need to put... Like we talked about before, like in Iceland, they put up big giant barriers that say unpassable. So technically, there should have been a gate at the road that they went down Mm -hmm. when they thought they were heading to lower elevation. Uh The gate had not been secured. So typically, what what should have stopped them and forced them to kind of backtrack the full route Mm -hmm. out of bear camp misled them. As day five approaches, minutes and hours are crawling by for the Kim family. But their family and friends, things start to speed up for them. They've set up their own missing persons campaign. They've created social media accounts, a website, and their own search parties in the area they believe the family may have traveled through. At this time, detectives are informed of the couple's plan to go to the Gold Coast and begin to put themselves in Katie and Jason's shoes. Thinking, okay, if you're running late... It's nighttime. You have two tired children with you. What do you do? Mm -hmm. You take the shortest route. Mm. That kind of thought process is the moment that gives the detectives the idea to start looking at Bear Camp Road. Hmm. Meanwhile, and now this is roughly like day four or five for the family, stranded at the car. Uh huh. Meanwhile, back at the car in the woods, temperatures are slipping below freezing. The car is completely out of gas. The heater's no longer working. Oh, no. I assume the battery has also died. Mm. And Katie remarks that Sabine has stopped smiling. Oh, God. The whole family started to suffer frostbite. Mm. Katie said they were so cold that it hurt. They couldn't sleep. Their bones just ached from the cold. Mm. I'm sure all they had was like their jackets. Well, they had some extra clothes because at this point they had been on the road. Yeah. You know, they left the 18th. It was the 25th. So they had a couple days worth of change of clothes. I'm sure they started layering. Mm -hmm. Um, They're still sleeping in the back seat, huddled together for warmth. Yeah. Katie mentions at one point Jason would like rub the family's feet to kind of help them keep warm. But it was just completely miserable. Yeah, just too much. Uh, The family wakes up to face day six. James's sister, Eva, publicly pleads on TV for help searching to find her brother's family. The story at this point is also captivating national news outlets because it was so peculiar that an entire family would go missing. Mm -hmm. You know, like you often hear about a parent goes missing, a child goes missing. Rarely ever hear about the whole entire family. Yeah. And everyone in the Kim's family was really, really terrified for Sabine and Penelope. I mean, they're only four and seven months old. So, yeah. 
Searchers are now considering that the family went down Bear Creek Road, but no one even considered that they would have gone down that logging road. Mm. As I mentioned earlier, those gates should have been closed this time of year. I believe those gates get closed in November. Mm -hmm. Rescuers are driving down Bear Camp Road looking for the Kim's vehicle or signs of where the car could possibly have gone off the road. But at this point, the search and rescue group was a small volunteer. And again, this is a really long road bad weather. Yeah, it's been snowing. I'm sure it covered up any tracks they had laid before. Mm-hmm. There was a one mention in an article I read that some of the searchers had gone up and encountered some snowmobilers that were also looking for them. And it seemed like the snowmobilers implied they had continued up more. So mm-hmm. the rescuers kind of turned back to go search another area. But it was later they found out that no one had proceeded past a certain point in certain areas. Uh-huh. Miscommunication was a big problem. Terrible. James was extremely frustrated that no one had come to rescue them. So he said, if they won't come rescue us, maybe they'll rescue the forest. And he decides that they're go- the family's going to burn the tires on the car. Hmm. He hoped that the black smoke would reach the tree line and signal for help. Uh-huh. So now you have this family who's They first take the spare tire off the car, and it barely makes enough smoke to get to the treetops. So then they take all the tires off the car. Yeah. And all the flammable items they can find to create a larger fire. Mm. But unfortunately, they're so far below the tree line. The weather conditions are damp. It doesn't really, doesn't work out. Oh, no. At this point, James's father, Spencer Kim, a wealthy business executive, enlisted his own search effort. Spencer hires three helicopters and a search team of 25 people, and within an hour, he had the team on the ground looking for the family. Hmm. Back at the car, the family's fire is dwindling, and they hear a helicopter overhead. Oh, my God. But just as the sun starts to fade, so does the helicopter's noise. Mm. Katie was so amazed no one had found them yet. She said that night was the most depressing night of them all. God, I, I must have just felt hopeless. I mean, you're at like five or six nights out there. Yeah. The days just must have been like crawling on. They mentioned that they played hangman and little games and sang songs. I mean, you also have to like Mm -hmm. keep it together because you've got two kids you had to keep it together for. Yeah. And you're freezing and they're freezing. Oh, my God. So huddled in their car on the brink of starvation, the family has no idea that the whole country is watching and waiting for them to be found. Worried that they won't be able to survive any longer, James makes the decision to go out and search for help. He studied the local maps they had in the car and believes they are just four miles from a town. He makes a plan to go out and find that town. He says, no matter what happens, I'll be back by 1 p.m. He takes lighter scissors and scraps of clothing from from the girl's clothes so he can mark the trees as he hikes out. So if he needs to, he can find his way back. Uh Uh-huh. Katie remembers that he left at exactly 7.46 that morning. Penelope said, don't get lost, as her dad took off down the road. Mm. Why would he get lost? They're already stuck in the woods for a week. (laughs) Don't get more lost. Yeah. As search efforts clearly haven't been too successful, two cell phone engineers in Medford, Oregon, decide to track the Kim's family cell phone, hoping that they can pinpoint their whereabouts by cell phone tower pings. Uh Uh-huh. Which I'm sure most people are, like, familiar with that concept. 
However, when the cell phone engineer calls the San Francisco Police Department and requests the cell phone numbers of Jason and Kim, the request is denied. For reasons, I don't know. Oh, God. At this point, hundreds of rescuers are in the area and they get a lead that the family was spotted at a gas station near the coast, their intended destination. Mm-hmm. So searchers switch their attention to that area. Oh, only to realize a few hours later that the tip was wrong and they had been wasting vital time. Oh, that's terrible. So again, miscommunication is a huge problem yeah. with these search and rescue efforts. Back in the woods, 1 p.m. comes and goes, and Jason hasn't returned. Katie begins to worry. She had no reason to believe he wouldn't return. He had a solid plan. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm sure you're thinking in your head, like, we've already survived this far. Yeah. There's no way he wouldn't come back. Of course he would. Like, this can't get any worse. The cell phone engineer reaches out to the Kim's family hotline that was set up to collect leads. He's able to obtain the Kim's cell phone numbers from Jason's sister and inputs the information into his database. He gets a hit on a tower with a 36-mile radius near Bear Camp Road. However, since technically he has breached some privacy laws and company policies to look through the database, Hmm. he has to notify his boss and receive legal permission to share the information with the police. Wow. As night falls, again for the family, this time Katie and the girls are all alone. Mm. As the cell phone engineer waits for permission, night falls again for the family, but this time Katie and the girls are alone. She knew something had gone wrong for James not to return. Yeah. Finally... The next day, with the approval to share the cell phone and tower data, the helicopters hired by James's father now have an area to focus on. They now know exactly the mileage they need to cover to search for the family. Hmm. Katie woke up knowing she had to fight to survive for her daughters. She set out to find James, hiking for two hours with the girl. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I know. That is like a superhuman... There's no way. And I'm assuming she either was holding both of them or at least holding the younger one. Wow. Katie says she begins to feel lightheaded, like she was having crazy delusions about drinking grapefruit juice. And it Mm. just felt so real that she knew she was like too weak to go on. And typically delusions are a sign of hypothermia. Yeah. So once again, she retreated back to the car. Gosh, good thing she didn't get lost from the car. I know. Oh, my gosh. I mean, they are on a road, though. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it's not like she's, like, hiking out into the trees or anything. Right. And the car is parked at a T in the road. So. Yeah. Maybe maybe Jason hasn't been found because he was farther away from the town walking through the road. Maybe he's found help. I assumed two hours with two kids. I mean, maybe she walked three miles tops. You know, it could have been an hour in, hour out. Realized it was not a good idea. Mm-hmm. Anyways, back of the car, she starts to hear the helicopters again. It's now Monday, December 4th, and they've they've been stranded since the night of November 25th. Gosh. Nine days in the barren wilderness. That's too many. Like, that's crazy. <laughs> After, like, just, like, quarantine in a house for <laughs> a week and you started to lose your mind, if you were stuck in a car for nine days out in the freezing... With, like, a little bit of food every day. Yeah. and Oh, my gosh. God. Everything, my gut was like, why didn't you hike out on day one? Like, when you woke up and realized you couldn't get the car to move, why mm-hmm. didn't you just start hiking out? But everything you read online and everything you hear about survival, it's just never leave the car. Yeah. You know? and Yeah. 
I could sit here and say, well, everyone can sit here and say they should have done this, they should have done that, just like in other stories. Mm -hmm. But until you're in it, you have no idea. Yeah. So, again, now it's Monday, December 4th. John Racher, a local in the area, had been following the story. And with the new details pinpointing this specific area of the Bear Camp Road, he thought he could help. He was familiar with this area and felt he knew it well. So he decided to take out his own helicopter and search for the family. Mm, wow. In one of the articles I read, apparently he owns eight Burger Kings. <laughs> and a helicopter. And a helicopter. He's done very well for himself. John said, I just started hovering over all the roads. There must be 50 miles in that road system. There are a lot of tracks on the roads, but they were all bear tracks. I finally spotted one set of tracks that were human tracks. They were longer and narrower. I hovered over them to verify that they were indeed human tracks. Gosh. Again, Katie heard the helicopter in the area and started signaling in the sky with a vanity mirror from the car. Hmm. As she did, the helicopter came closer and closer and said it start until it started circling. She put down the mirror and started waving a pink umbrella. Wow. John had finally spotted Katie and her daughters alive on this remote road. Mm, That must have been the happiest moment of her entire life. Totally. And the whole signaling into the sky with the mirror, um, Mm -hmm. they mentioned that the couple did that the first couple times, like trying to signal, get the attention. Uh He radioed their location to the authorities and they flew over, dropping a few provisions like Gatorade and chocolate bars. Katie said the Gatorade bottles actually exploded when they hit the ground, but they were able to eat the chocolate bars. (laughs) Can you imagine just like at this point? And also like the family at this point is melting snow for drinkable water. Yeah. Um, But could you imagine like. I'd be like, look, kids, snow cone. (laughs) Yeah. Gatorade flavor. Ten minutes later, Katie, Penelope, and Sabine were airlifted out of this horrific nightmare. Wow. Upon arrival at the hospital, James's family and Katie were both looking for James. Katie assumed James had found help and had brought the helicopters. Mm. But unfortunately, no one had heard from him. Oh. There's a brief moment of relief oh, from man. the search and rescue teams that the, that this was finally over and the family was safe. But now they realize that it wasn't over and they still had to go find James. Mm. Which is crazy. It's awful. Yeah. And I watched some of the interviews with the police and search and rescue teams. And you can just see like, the defeat when they realize that he's not with the family because things happened really quickly mm-hmm. and everything. You can just see that they are just like, wow, this is not over for this family. Yeah. As Katie and the girls received care in the hospital, they hung on to every bit of hope that James was still out there. Searchers had started to track his path by following the pieces of clothing and fabric he fabric he had left along his route Mm -hmm. so his intended plan of like leaving these markers was working authorities said that our belief is that these are little signs left by james for anyone trying to find him and he is continuing to be on the move james had been tracked to a steep canyon ravine a couple miles from the car that had a creek running through it this creek leads to the rogue river this area is extremely steep and treacherous Hmm. treacherous Authorities at this point decided that they're going to try to get ahead of James and start dropping care packages where they think his route would be. So if he and he could possibly encounter these care packages if they didn't encounter him first. Uh And in these packages was like a blanket, gloves, flares, hand warmer, some food supplies. And each of these packages also had a letter from his family. 
And they were all being provided by Spencer, his father. Wow. There is a ABC 2020 kind of 15-minute little mini-sode about this. And at one point, they mention that, I believe it's the National Guard has these helicopters that has this infrared kind of scanner built in to pick up body heat. Uh And for some reason, they couldn't get those helicopters deployed to help search for James. Mm. And it wasn't until his father, who is very well connected, called somebody and got them to release these helicopters for use. Wow. Which is... Gosh. um, But I couldn't find that in any of the actual articles I read. But again, that was just mentioned in the the 2020 episode. Uh Um, At this time, a helicopter team finally spotted James. As the SWAT team member rappelled down to make contact, he discovered that James was no longer alive. The rescuer said it had looked as if James might have slipped and fallen on the mossy rocks into the river where his body was found. Oh, no. And at this point, James had been out there for four days. So the two days that (sighs) his wife and kids were alone and now the two days after they've been rescued. Yeah. James was lying on his back in about a foot of water with his backpack still on and he was fully clothed and there was no signs of injuries that would have caused death. Hmm. The rescuer told a local news outlet, I don't think he gave up until he died. Gosh. And an autopsy confirmed that he died of exposure to the elements and hypothermia. Now, again, he didn't set out until about day seven. So that's seven days of high stress, anxiety, you know, beginning signs of frostbite, very little food. Yeah. And then spent, you know, up to four days out in the wilderness. Yeah. It's like once he had to sleep outside at night, not in a van. Mm-hmm. That must have been horrible. They actually weren't in a van. They were in, I want to believe, a Saab oh. kind of station wagon or yeah. a Saab kind of hatchback. Uh-huh. I almost mentioned the car, but I was like, meh, got so many details. Don't need that one. <laughs> so... A series of small decisions all led up to a massively tragic event. Hindsight is truly 2020. Mm-hmm. State Police Lieutenant Greg Hastings said James had walked five miles up a road and five more miles down rugged Big Windy Creek before he found that final spot. In total, James had walked over 15 miles. Despite James's long hike, he was actually just a mile. Mm. From the car. Oh, my gosh. So he kind of like zigzagged. His body was a half mile from the Rogue River, which would put him about a mile from Black Bear Lodge. The Black Bear Lodge was closed for the winter, but had the family found it, they would have had shelter, warmth, and enough food for months. Yeah. So that, from my understanding, that road where they stopped at the T, if they had kept going down about a mile, they would have found the lodge. Oh, Following several different investigations, it was determined that the Kims weren't the only ones who made mistakes. The Bureau of Land Management, the ones who control the logging road, Uh who had always maintained that the logging road gates have been locked and that vandals had cut the locks and that's why they're open, finally said that through an internal investigation, they now knew that they had not locked the gates to the road. Wow. James and his family weren't even the first people to have an accidental detour in this area. In 1994, a Montana camper salesman got stuck driving in the snow from Gold Beach to Grants Pass. So he was mm. coming, it sounds like he was coming the opposite direction. Uh-huh. He was found starved to death. 
in the spring. God. That was in 1994. There's just too much open land out there. It's, mm-hmm. Don't be driving down roads you don't know like the back of your hand in winter. In March 2006, six members of an Ashland, Oregon family were stranded in their snowbound motorhome for two weeks up in this area. Oh, my God. So it kind of wasn't uncommon for this, yeah. this to happen. So the 100-page report of the ordeal also notes that the political situation in Josephine County also did not help search efforts. The sheriff had lost an election to the new sheriff and was currently looking for a new job, and this was his last week of scheduled work when it happened to be the start of the search. Another misstep was that the search and rescue teams never looked into the family's cell phone records to try and trace them through tower pings. It was by luck that an employee at the local wireless company did that on yeah, his own. Yeah, that's crazy. And even then, the information wasn't relayed fast enough. Yeah. There was also a lot of inconsistencies in standards. The searchers had no standard latitude and longitude system to work from. Some used coordinates in decimal degrees and some used decimal minutes. Others used minutes and seconds of latitude and longitude. Hmm. Pilots were using aviation maps while ground searchers were not. So it sounds like no one was working from the same system. So communicating area and space was not being communicated clearly. Hmm. James's father, Spencer, wrote an article in the Washington Post in early January 2017 after the ordeal titled Lessons in My Son's Step, where he goes to explain some of the errors made by authorities and the SARS teams as they looked for his son's family. He mentions the lack of accountability from the Bureau of Land Management not locking the gates, the difficulty his family had accessing credit card charges and phone data to help trace their last steps. Uh He says Congress should change the law so that most recent credit card and phone use records can be immediately released to the next of kin in the event of an emergency. Mm-hmm. Privacy laws are important to safeguard personal information, but there needs to be provision for access to information by relatives when it's critical to a family member's survival. Yeah. Had a lot of this information been confirmed sooner, rescue teams could have immediately focused the search operation and James probably would have been rescued with his family and spared his doomed 16-mile quest to save Mm. them. In closing, his father says, with his last heroic determination to rescue his family, James proved himself to be a man of action. My son deserves a legacy worthy of that man. As a tribute to him, I am determined to follow his lead and do all that I can to prevent another senseless tragedy. Mm. So... I'm sweating now. Uh, it's it's one of like it's you know a nightmare scenario because I know after after a couple days you would feel like okay this isn't working somebody's got to do something and then you know of course the husband goes out and tries to get help whatever when like you said it would have worked out better if it was like the second day like after you spend one night but of course. In the moment, you're never going to do that. You're never going to be like, okay, well, they didn't get here after day one, so I'm going to do the most dangerous thing and go out into the wilderness. Mm -hmm. It's just all terrible. Right. It makes me feel vindicated in my theory of I should just not leave the house at all when it's (laughs) wintertime. I mean, do we count November as wintertime, though? Yes. 
In the mountains? Yes, you do. <laughs> um, I, a long time ago, I do not know where it was. Um, gosh, I want to say maybe it was like Minnesota, somewhere like that. I read an article about a girl who had been, I think, driving her from college or something. And she drove, she like, I don't know if she skidded on the snow and the ice, whatever. And her car went off of the road and into basically a creek or something. And um, she was trapped in her car because her legs steering wheel had like clamped down on her legs. So she was trapped in the car, couldn't get out in a creek full of freezing water for days before anybody found her. And um, when they did find her, she was still alive, but they had to amputate her legs because of it. And I always have that in my mind when I'm driving in the winter is like so much worse can happen to you. <laughs> if you're driving through the desert in the summertime, as long as you have a lot of water, you have a chance. If you're driving in the winter and you go off the road there's so much more of a chance for like a big snowstorm to just like cover all your tracks and nobody can find you and you can only stay warm as long as your heater works and it's just so dicey. I just hate it. <laughs> yeah, no, it is. And when I was reading this and writing about it, I mean, like like you said, that you just don't know what you would do. You don't know what's right. I mean, yeah. Textbook answer says stay with the car, don't move. But I, I said to my boyfriend, I said, okay, imagine this is us. The next day you woke up. Wouldn't you have said, like, let's go, let's go hike out? Like, we know mm -hmm. this thing's 15 miles. We know we're in good shape. We'll get there by nightfall. But you don't know. Yeah. You don't know. And his response was, like, again, like, textbook answer, no, you stay with the car. Yeah. But I don't know, like, should they have walked two miles? Like, each day, should they have tried to walk a mile or two in a different direction down the road? I don't know. You never know until you're in it. Yeah. It is so scary. You also have kids with you, which yeah. I'm sure changes your perception of things. Like if it I'm sure. It's not just you now. It's you have to worry about them. And Yep. Oh, yeah. I don't, I don't know what I would do. And that's I, I think what I would do in that situation would just be to buckle and cry and rock back and forth until somebody fixed it for me because I would not be able to hold it together. Yeah. And I feel like this was kind of a lesson to me. I mean, you know me. I will get in my car and drive 12 hours straight and not think anything of it. Yeah. And most of the time it's not through the mountains, but it's like I should put like a safety care package in my trunk. Like, oh, yeah, put some Gatorade, put extra blankets, put some fire starter. That's what I was thinking, too, was that, you know, it was a it was hard that they had the kids but it was lucky that they did because people who have kids in their car always have food in their car mm -hmm. as a person who does not have kids i never have food in my car <laughs> ever yeah like unless i'm going on a real long trip and then i have something shitty like a you know snack bag of doritos like <laughs> i don't have like food food i have crap food yeah so no yeah I just can't imagine the feeling they felt when they're taking their tires off the car. Yeah. And like, I'm sure if it were me and they had gotten to that and we were like taking the car tires off and we were burning them, my mind would think this is going to work. This is going to be the thing. Oh, of thing. course. Yeah. Because you like, and obviously the, the heartbreaking thing is you can't, you would never get to that point until your gas was all gone anyway. Because otherwise you'd be thinking, we might need those tires. Mm -hmm. 
But yeah, I would think, I don't know, winter, a little bit different. But I was going to say out west, fire out in the forest is a thing that people notice. But it's horrible. I might have nightmares. I definitely did the first night after I read everything. It's such a thing that could happen to any one of us. It's not It's not a trip to some wild destination. It's not swimming with sharks, parasailing. It's not making a conscious decision to do something dangerous. It's we all get into our car and drive every day, most of us. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know. I mean, luckily, I don't live around any logging roads and I don't uh i know all the roads that i live around (laughs) but it's things like this that do make me overly cautious about driving in places that i don't know yeah yeah and i mean they had a paper map instead of gps but like the same thing can be said about people who follow gps you know i've read a ton of stories about people who get lost following gps blindly so like you said this is truly just a series of unfortunate events like it's yeah. nothing anyone did. It was not a decision that they made caused this. It was just yeah bad luck. I don't know if you call it bad luck, mm-hmm. but it's just bad. It's unfortunate that there are so many places, at least in America, I don't know about other places, but probably, where the locals all know, oh, you don't drive down that road in the wintertime. Or, oh, you don't, ro- you don't drive down that road when it's raining like things like that that the locals just know because they've Mm -hmm. they've been there their whole lives and that you would never have that information on a map yeah and the only thing that they can have is to have the road closed and if something snags with that like in this case it's just bad news things that you just don't know is yeah not a local to Mm. some areas you know so it's crazy it's scary well, you're up next. You know what? We we have gone on so long. We've done a full episode's worth. And I think we will just call this Caitlin's episode. And uh, we'll just, we'll continue, I think, on the next episode. Or else this is going to be like a two hour long episode. <laughs> yeah. I think it's pretty long. So, which is fine because it was a very in-depth and interesting story it's a very sad story it's very sad i think because you hear her account of it it's just you know hits a little bit harder in one of her 2020 episode interviews she mentions that she feels like she failed as a mom and that i believe she even asked james to kill her if the the girls die was like please just go and kill me because like i don't want to come out of this yeah so that's sad very sad but i mean you know, dad didn't make it, but at least mom and the kids did. Mm-hmm. Bummer, bummer, bummer. Well, listeners, you have any other stories that you think would be worthy of us telling? Let us know. Yeah, I'm really glad that Caitlin sent us this. Yeah. I don't think I would have found this one on my own. So, yeah, send uh, send any of your story suggestions to early departures podcast at gmail.com or DM us on Instagram at early departures podcast. And you know, you don't have to you don't have to research the whole thing yourself. You can just tell us, hey, I heard this story one time about this guy in Maine with a boat, and we'll try to search it out and figure out what you're talking about. <laughs> and um yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, otherwise we'll we'll be back next week uh with some fresh stuff. I'll tell my story I had planned for today then. 
And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see you next time. Till then, be safe. And depart on time. <laughs> <laughs>